Welcome to Dementia Dialogue. Let's get right into listening to our host, Lisa Loisel, introduce her guest, Ainsley Moorhouse. On today's episode of Dementia Dialogue, we continue the Arts and Dementia series with a discussion about the importance of expressive arts and improvisation. My guest today is Ainsley Morehouse. Ainsley is a mental health clinician, an artist, and she specializes in aging, older age, and dementia. So welcome very much, Ainsley, um, to the conversation today. I really appreciate you being here. My pleasure. So if we could just start off, um, can you tell me a little bit about your involvement in theater? Sure, yeah, I, I mean, I loved theater from a really age. I took acting classes as a kid and then ended up studying to be an actor in my, in, in a, a master's degree, a master's of fine arts. And I think I, I sort of, it never really, it never really clicked or worked out for me. Um, and I wasn't really feeling connected to the art form. Like I loved doing it, but something wasn't working for me. So professionally, I suppose, I think I was searching for something more, but that's, that's how I started out. Okay. Um, so the reason we're having this conversation today is around the importance of, um, and this whole series really is about the importance of arts in the lives of people living with dementia. Now mm -hmm. I understand through uh, mutual colleagues of ours that you've been involved in some uh, theater work uh, with people living with dementia. So can you maybe tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so you know, like, as I was saying, I wasn't really feeling the, the theater world or the theater life for myself. And when it started clicking was when I started working with people who have dementia. Um, so I um, worked a number of volunteer positions in long-term care homes and hospitals um, using theater arts and then using improv, like doing improv sessions with people living with dementia. And I really started to, I don't know, something was just working. I was feeling excited and the people that I was working with seemed to be feeling excited as well. And I was seeing some like magical moments happening and that's extended to my work. Now I work with care partners at the Reitman Center and now helping um, care partners as well to use some of the um, principles of improvisation in terms of connecting with the people that they're caring for, their people with dementia in their lives. When I think of the arts and, and theater, um, and especially knowing and working with people living with dementia for almost 20 years, why improv? It's mm. not something that I would necessarily connect um, somebody living with dementia, although you did say that you're working with care partners. Mm -hmm. um, have you also worked with people living with dementia doing improv? Yeah, I started out working with people who have dementia and have, and like have sort of moved into working with predominantly with care partners. So why improv? The principles of improv, the ones that are sort of central to um, improvisation are I think also central to caregiving, um, effective communication with people living with dementia. The kind of main one I guess that um, comes to mind or that, we, that I use often is this idea of saying yes and so saying yes to the person that you're working with, that you're engaging with, that you're having a conversation with, and then saying yes and, and so building upon what you've been given. 
so if you're with someone who has dementia and they've said something to you, I think oftentimes a person's response might be to correct or to say like, oh, no, no, no. Um, but what can we, what can we gain or what, like what magic can happen if we say, if we say yes, and we accept the person, we accept what they've given to us, what their gift is or their offer, and then we can build on it and give something back. And then it can become like a mutual exchange and hmm. possibly a moment of deep and perhaps even joyful connection. Another main principle of improv is that you really, is to be like in the moment. And so really focusing on, on the now and the relationship with the other person as it exists, not how we want it to exist. And I think that concept of being in the moment has driven me um, since the beginning of like my time working with people who have dementia to be in the now, because I think in some ways that's what we get with dementia. Like if we don't have as much access, if a person with dementia doesn't have as much access to their, to their past, to their memories, and may not be thinking about the future, we don't wanna generalize, but we just, we don't, always know we can really kind of like give into the present moment um, and be spontaneous. And I will just say like another really beautiful principle of improv that I love is to support your partner, to make them look good. And if we're talking to someone who has dementia and we're saying yes and, and we're, you know, in, inviting whatever it is that they have to offer, we make them look good, make them, you know, we can, right? We can make them look good, feel good. And I think that's a really respectful way of being. So when I think about these principles, I think as a care partner, how therapeutic this could be for them and to almost practice in a sense, their, their communication with the person that they're caring for. So what, what have you seen are the benefits of something like this for people, for um, the care partners that you're working with? Oh, right. So I think if a care partner can start to see what the person they're caring for is giving them as a gift, right? Or if they can learn to interact in this sort of improvisational way. And so then it can impact it can help create a sense of meaning in the relationship, right? Like if that started to, to if that started to fall away, and I, again, I never want to generalize, but it, we again, we have the opportunity for meaningful interactions, meaningful moments, and it's not all going to be meaningful, and it's not all going to be great. I think being a care partner is hard. There's a lot of loss involved, and I think the invitation is to invite the possibility of joy, moments of joy, moments of connection. So I think in that way, I think it can be therapeutic for the care partner. Because again, a lot of the loss um, has to do with not, a lot of the loss for many caregivers has to do with not feeling connected to the person they're caring for. And again, that depends on the nature of the relationship, what it was in the past and whatnot. But if that's part of the loss, finding moments to connect and to see um, the person that they're caring for as, as having something really interesting or unexpected to offer them in the moment, right? And, you know, just speaking about the therapeutic nature of this work, I think for both um, a care partner and the person living with dementia, 
I think there's the opportunity to see some strengths in the person living with dementia, in what they might be able to offer in an improvisational interaction. And I think that can be a benefit to both people involved. So when you're doing improv, does it, um, so I guess maybe we should jump back and I'd like you to tell me about how this, how a program like this works, like what that looks like and whether or not, is this something that they do together in dyads or mm -hmm. is this something that you do in uh, just exclusively with other care partners or, so if you could just tell me a little bit more about the, the actual program and what that looks like. Right, so I think you can do both. Um, if you're working with dyads together, I think the, um, the benefit is that you can um, teach both individuals and um, tools to, to connect and how to, and to take that into their life outside of the group. If you're working in with a group of people who have dementia, it's different, right? It's a different experience, I suppose, but there's also an opportunity for a sense of community between between the, um, the participants in the group and of course the uh, facilitator or group leader. I mean, I've done it both ways and, I, and it, it's, it can be beautiful in both ways. So what does, if I were a participant in, um, in this improv group, what would it look like? So I'd, I'd come in one day and what would happen? So I think, again, it's gonna depend on, on the group and on the nature of the group that you're attending. So what would be examples of that? It might be group members come together and engage in sort of typical improvisational exercises um, that, that invite spontaneous um, reactions or responses from the group members. Um, it might be between the group leader and the group member, perhaps building, building a scene. Um, oftentimes like there might be a prompt that you use, so that, like a sentence that could start that could start a scene. Oh, it's a beautiful day outside. And then the participant would respond and then you can respond to the person. You can also um, create dyads between group members with those types of exercises. There's also like shorter exercises that you can do, like, oh, that, that might be gesture focused, right? So showing, showing emotion with your face or your body or your voice, building a group story storytelling can be really beneficial. And what's kind of neat um, when you're working with people who have dementia in terms of storytelling is that you end up with, oftentimes you'll end up with like nonlinear stories, which can be so beautiful and unexpected in their own, in their own right. I, I like to think of it as like a postmodern experience or creation. But I've used a technique that was developed by Ann Basting a lot mm -hmm. um, called time slips. So using a photograph um, as a prompt for the group to tell a story. I mean, I, I can remember working with a particular photograph. The one I'm thinking of is like a woman sitting on a bench with leaves around on the ground around her and she's holding a guitar and the group leader in this like, time slips um, thing is taught to like ask questions, prompts and, and not to feed the answers to the person, to the, to the group members. So like, what do you hear? What do you see? really focused on the senses, which again, I think is really tied into being, really trying to live in the moment and experience the world through your senses. Um, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you think happened before? What do you think happened after? And I can remember once 
just, you know, asking people talk about the crunching of the leaves. Um, and I asked what, what song is she singing? And, and one group member, I don't want to say burst into song, but just started singing quietly. It was an, an old standard. I forgive me, I cannot remember now what it was, but it was an old standard that you know everyone knew, and the other group members started started joining in. It was just so spontaneous, right? And it was this spontaneous moment of everyone just saying yes, right, yes, and to this to this person in the retelling of the story, which we do. So we'll. You, you build the story and then you, you retell it. Whenever we came to that part in the story, everyone sang. Yeah, it, it sounds like, you know, you really, everybody really felt a uh, connection within the group, like a community. Well, that's something the thing. Like that happens, yeah. And I, yes, and I think that's one, that's something that I've always felt. And that's what drew me to the theater in the first place was mm. honestly, I think more than anything was this, really strong sense of community that develops, right? Because you have to, you're making yourself vulnerable. You're kind of, you're putting yourself out there agreeing to be creative and, you know, spontaneous or whatever it might be um, and to take risks. And when we can create risks together, when we can make, when we can allow ourselves to be vulnerable with other people. And if we can actually create something as a group, I mean, it's hard to explain. It's somewhat intangible, but there's this really deep connection that can develop. I, I completely understand that idea, I guess, from a parent's perspective. My son was in theater um, for many years, and I have to say his connection with the other actors um, as he was, you know, creating, um, you know, different plays was incredible. And I've never seen him connect with anybody in, in that way before. Um, and it is, it's, it's really does to be vulnerable together really brings you together because you're able to see deeper into people and you want to get to know them. And yeah, you're just, you're just connected on a different level. Absolutely. And it's so hard to explain. And it's so hard, I think, to be evidence-based about this kind of thing. Cause again, it is yeah. intangible. There's a reason that people get drawn into the life, into like the life of the theater world, right? There's a reason for that. And I think part of it is like a deep connection to yourself through being creative and and then as you say that bond with the other that's that's super exciting i have seen um i don't know if i can't remember if it was a movie or if it was just a video clip of somebody going through this time slips process mm. um and how powerful oh my gosh um, yeah great story about just that spontaneous you know singing when when something comes up when you leave kind of the door open for whatever people are feeling at that time. Absolutely. Yeah. And and not just singing, but gesture or or sounds. Like we can all of those things we can say yes to and then mm -hmm. we can build on them. Right. And and it's so important to live in the moment with a with people living with dementia. So mm -hmm. as you said, and those senses, those are things that I think people living with dementia can remember, right? It's a different area of the brain. Um, and so the smells and the sounds and the tastes of things, you know, those I think persist um, and using that as, as um, a cue um, yeah. to, to go deeper into a memory. And sorry to interrupt. Mm, go ahead. I, I was gonna say, and I always say, can we take the senses 
and not try to use them to connect to a memory. Like, can we take the senses and just be like, mm-hmm. just take them, take them for what they are and sure and be creative, um, be imaginative um, and not try to pull right. a memory that um, of course we, of course we want to, of course we want to connect on memory. That's how we get it's like how we've sort of, it is how we connect with other people. Yeah. And um, can we learn to connect in, in the moment, in our senses? And again, that was really um, a turning point for me in my, in my career in my, in my personal life was realizing like, because many or most people like my, my I have, dementia in my family as well and I learned I kind of stumbled upon this idea of letting go of having to talk about the past and just being and allowing whatever was happening and allowing for memories that were you know quote unquote wrong because maybe there's some truth there right there's some truth of emotion or where like where you know the person is now right Um, yeah when I first started um, doing this work with people who have dementia, and it, you know, just as an, as an explanation, I think all of like my professional training at this time, like 10, 10 years ago, was all in theater and arts, and so that was a natural progression for me was to move in that direction towards mm-hmm. working with people who have dementia. Um, and I stumbled upon an article by Maurice Merleau-Ponty, who is a phenomenological um, philosopher. Um, and he writes about the value of engaging with the world around us through the senses. And that honestly was such an aha moment for me. It just sort of shifted and everything. Um, I learned that let, like, I don't need to, or what happens if I let go of control, right? Let go of trying to pull out memories from the past and really just find value in the senses, in the present moment, in being with I don't know, I think for me, taking that approach brought meaning or, and I think it can bring me- meaning mm-hmm. to um, engaging with someone with dementia. Uh, something that's so beautiful about engaging in the arts, no matter who we are, um, is that it involves like, all parts of ourself, right? Mm-hmm. So it involves our imagination and it involves our intellect, our, our mind, our body and our emotions. And so Again, this is a way to connect so deeply and so fully, right, with with our with our whole selves, mm-hmm. and wherever our strength might be, in any given moment, um, we can sort of draw on that as our gift. Well, thank you for all of your thoughts and and you know the the work that you're doing with families and people living with dementia. It sounds fabulous. Um, <laughs> if anybody wants to check out your um, you know, this particular program, if they want to get involved in this, where can people reach out? Um, so you have to be a patient of um, the Reitman Center. Okay. On sign yeah. Okay. Yeah. We have a website, dementiacarers.com. Oh, perfect. We'll make sure to include that link in the information on our website. You know, so many amazing points that I, you know, I really think people are going to, are really going to appreciate, you know, in that being able to communicate and, um, you know, learning how to communicate and taking those principles of improv, mm-hmm. um, you know, so important. I've never heard, I've never heard that before. And I was, always, I was curious, like, how does improv, you know, how can you learn from that? What, what do you take away from that? Um, it's, this is 
very, very fascinating and, and I love it. It's so interesting to me because to me, it's just like, it's so obvious. It's like, the, of course, it's perfect. It fits perfectly. Um, we need to learn, right? And like, yeah. once, and I feel like once we, once we sort of make that connection, it's like, oh, yes. Yeah, exactly. Of course. Yeah. It's like yeah. light bulb moment. Of course, that's exactly yeah. what it's, it's doing those principles. Thanks to Ainsley for sharing her passion and vision of how improv theater can both enliven people affected by dementia and help care partners learn new strategies. You can learn more about Ainsley's practice at the Reitman Centre at Sinai Health Toronto by checking out the show note for this episode on our website. We have also posted two articles on improv and dementia. I've learned so much from this series on the arts and dementia. Our last episode in the series will be released in late May and will feature Lisa in conversation with Chris Wynn, a documentary filmmaker and cultural observer. The previous arts episodes are grouped together on our website, dementiadialogue.ca. Last week, we released our second episode in our Francophone series. Please let your Francophone contacts know about it. The Francophone series is sponsored by the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration in Aging. Our next English language episode is the third in our Young Onset series, curated and hosted by the Brain Exchange. If you missed the first two episodes with the Deneen family, I urge you to listen to them. If you want to have our episodes delivered to your inbox, write us at dementia.dialogue at lakeheadu.ca. Thanks to the Center for Education and Research on Aging and Health at Lakehead University, our institutional partner, and to the Public Health Agency of Canada for its financial support. My name is David Harvey.